Guys, on the fly, you know, I started doing this probably about five, five, six months ago, and I've had some big interviews, but uh, probably my biggest interview so far on the fly, and if you guys were around in the 80s like I was, and you were listening to the radio, because we didn't have iPhones that you could bring up songs, or YouTube where you could watch the videos, you had to, you had to listen to the radio, you had to buy cassette tapes, you had to buy vinyl records and stuff like that, and it, it wasn't always there. This group right here was from from 85 to 1990, one of the hottest groups in the United States, across the world. I'm talking about the Jets. With me today is two of the original <laughs> members of the Jets, Mr. Rudy Wolfgram and Mr. Heine Wolfgram. Rudy played the drums, was the original bass player, and did all the choreography. Uh, Heine was the guy that you hear on Rocket to You. And one of the few songs you hear a male voice on, there was a couple, there was a few of them, but uh, big hit for them, actually uh, was nominated for awards, uh, but with me today is Rudy and Heidi Wolfgram. Thank you guys so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. We're actually really glad to be here, and yes, uh, we're excited. I mean, that's a long time ago, but we're glad to be back. Well, you know what? It seems like it was yesterday, guys, to me. I, I, I really miss, I'm an old school kind of guy. I miss the days. You know, I don't mind the technology and stuff like that because I'm able to do this with you guys today. I'm able, it's nice to have everything to access it, but I miss the old days going to the record store uh, or, or and watching when MTV actually yeah. played music. Uh, and stuff like that. I missed I missed the old days where the music videos were such a big part uh, of of getting the acts out there, getting getting the music out there. But I don't know about you guys, but that's how I feel. Yeah, you know, we missed those good old days. You know, getting actual uh, hard copies of stuff. You know, so you can hold it in your hand. You know, <laughs> cassette tape, CD. And you're, um, the, you reading I, the cover pages and all that. That's right, and it, see, that's what I miss having it in your hand, reading the liner notes, stuff like that. I actually on eBay about two or three months ago managed to pick up a vinyl copy of of one of your biggest hit, well, of Magic, the album. I got it on vinyl now. So, uh, oh wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I had it on cassette when I was a kid, but you know, I said you know vinyl was making a comeback, so I'm gonna try to uh, try to find it on vinyl. First of all. Seventeen children, seventeen children overall in the family, and and the oldest eight were the ones in the band. What, what got you got the family into music? You know, with my parents, uh, you know, we were. My mother was a Polynesian dancer, and so you know, she did the hula and all that kind right. of stuff. So we kind of did that to start out with, and uh, they were big fans of music and Elvis Presley. So uh, you know, when we got a little older, about. I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old, they decided to, you know, buy some instruments one day, and my dad said, hey, I think we, uh, you know, he actually saw the Jackson 5 and the Osmonds on TV and said, hey, I think maybe that's something we could do, as a, you know, since there's like eight kids in the family at that time. Right. So that, you, that was pretty much your influence, that was the, the Osmonds and the Jacksons, and yeah, I know all about the Elvis thing. My mama was a huge Elvis fan, uh, when she did cleaning on Saturday afternoons, that's, 
Elvis Presley record was blaring throughout the house. So uh, I guess <laughs> the the older yeah. I got, the more I appreciated uh, Elvis. But you know, man, it was every Saturday you had to listen to at least two or three Elvis records if you were in the house. Uh, so, right, you're right. Elvis Presley was the reason why my parents, when they like like Honey was saying, is when he died. Uh, boy, we came home from school, and my mom was like really teary and said, "Look," and then my dad said, "You know, I'm tired of." Working a lot, what can our family do together? And so he just said, Oh, you know, the Osmonds, the Jackson, let's do what these people have done. Create this band, and me and Roy and Heine sat there going, Wow, that's great, let's do it. And so it was the beginning of where we, how we started. So now, the, the first name of the band, the band wasn't always called the Jets. What was the first name of the band? Um, well, we were like the Wolfgram family, right. and we were Polynesian Pearls, and by the time we were discovered in Minnesota, we were living at the time. We were teenagers, and we were called Quasar. Quasar, yeah. Playing in clubs all over the Midwest, you know, freezing, you know, Iowa, right. North well, Dakota, Wisconsin, Minnesota. So we were Quasar <laughs> before the. So we were a cover band. We were a cover band doing rock music of the '80s. We did all the rock tunes. We went to every, you know. Bar. This is the time when, you know, you would go see live music in a bar, <laughs> not a DJ. Yeah, yeah. And so we would, we would be hired all over the place doing, so we would do both country, rock, R&B, whatever the crowd was, we did that music <laughs> in yeah. that place. So you, you pretty much did whatever whatever it took to get yourself out there, pretty much. Yeah, yes. you know, this was before the YouTube, so, you know. Yeah, it was hard. It was a lot harder. And whatever was popular. A lot harder getting things out there when, when you didn't have YouTube. and People don't realize how lucky they got today. Um, when did you feel like it was your first big break when you knew, all right, here, we we got something going here? Well, it was probably Minnesota when we were playing at a, you know, hotel club and uh, our manager showed up. Uh, he used to work for Motown and, you know, and he hooked us up with producers from Prince and that whole uh, uh, the Prince organization. And we were able to put together some good demo music and uh, work with uh, a lot of uh, those guys. And that's when we kind of felt, hey, I think you got to, you know, the, actually the buzz was people were coming to Minnesota looking for groups. Because Prince was like really popular in about, you know, yeah. mid-80s and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and, you know, so the record labels were looking for any groups coming from Minnesota. So we, we kind of had a, we were there at the right time in the right place, really. So, so NCA signed you. What, was there any other record companies looking for you guys, looking at you guys besides NCA? Um, well, we got turned down by about nine or ten labels uh, <laughs> before NCA Universal uh, took interest. So it was looking pretty bleak, actually, our manager he went and would come back from L.A. or New York and, you know, give us the thumbs down, like, nope, you know, right. nobody wants it. You know, they already got new edition. They got, uh, you know, their menudo. So they just thought, you know, we weren't that, uh, nothing there. But uh, so it, it was like one in ten, really, that finally took a, a gamble on us and chance on right. See, we did a showcase up in Reno, and so we brought all the labels there, like what Heine was saying, and the last company was uh, MCA Universal. The guy who signed us, Joe Busby, and Louis Silas oh, were yeah. the guys that came in that last night and said, hey, we could do something with this group, and then the rest is history. But before that, it was like, 
You know, we even record our demo. Uh, the way we record our demo is uh, our manager flew us out to, uh, was it Indianapolis, Heine? Yeah. And we were able to uh, work with, uh, of all people, Boy George of Culture Club. Wow. Uh, him and his uh, writer wrote our, one of our songs that got us our deal was one of our demos called Look No String. And so uh, we were excited that, you know, we were able to meet with some people that helped us. But again, it came down to, like what Heidi said, uh, MCA, the last record label coming on board, doing that showcase up in Reno, Nevada. And that, the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, so what, what, what facilitated the name to the Jets? What made that happen? Uh, well, we were looking for a name. I think uh, our manager thought that Quasar wasn't a good name. Sounded like a TV set. <laughs> so he uh, was listening to the radio and heard Benny and the Jets from Elton John. He said, hey, the Jets sound like a good name. So he came and told us about the Jets and also about, you know, maybe our look and brand could be kind of like the Jets on West Side Story. And that's kind of where we took our look with all the, you know, the... Uh, the Chuck uh, Converse and the Converse right. and the, yeah, the shoes and so well, that's kind of where we got it. So you you go and record your your self titled album, which ends up going platinum. Uh, what was it like that first time recording in the studio? I mean, that, that had to be like a big thrill for you guys. Would you know to know we're actually recording an album? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'd never been in the studio before, so it was a lot different for us. And we were working with uh, David Z, David Ripken, who produced all of Prince's albums. And you know, he was kind of a stickler about things. And, uh, you know, when we went in there, we were, like, just so new that we actually didn't record very well. We, you know, we were kind of off tune, just trying to hear ourselves sing and kind of come to realize that we didn't know how to use headphones very well. So he's like, well, maybe I'll get a speaker in here and a fallback system and do it the way the old Motown people used to do it. And, just, and that actually turned out to be the, the way we recorded all our albums. We just put a speaker in there, face it the other way, and we just he played the playback. Because, you know, playing live, we were kind of used to having a monitor, not headphones on our ears. And, right. You know, it just kind of threw us all off when yeah. we were trying to hear ourselves at recording. Yeah, and this was the day before, like what Heine was saying, this is the day before auto-tune. There was no auto-tune. Oh, yeah, no way. To, <laughs> over and over and over until we got the right tune, but it really helped when we were, again, like what Heine was saying, we had that little speaker, we could actually stay on tune. Yeah. Right. So that, Curiosity is your first single that comes out, it peaks at number eight on the US R&B charts, and people start really talking about the Jets then. I mean, you got, and then Crush on You, that was what really, really started everything. That gets to number three yeah. on the Billboard charts. And you guys are like, next thing you know, you guys are on Soul Train, American Bandstand. What was it like knowing, you know, we got a number three, we've got the number three single in America right now. What was that like? <laughs> it was a dream come true. I mean, uh, you know, one minute you're playing in bars and clubs, and next minute you're on a, you're on a world tour. Uh, yeah. You know, we were, like you said, with Curiosity, we came out in the R&B side. And then by the time Crush On You came over, we switched over to the pop division of MCA. Right. And they decided to jump on board and push it uh, because the music was poppy, you know, more than it was anything else. So that really helped, you know, break open the doors. But, you know, we were ecstatic. I mean, that was obviously, you know, being 17, 16, 18 years old at the time. 
and younger. My sisters were probably 12 and 13 or, yeah, something like that. You know, it was just kind of a whirlwind because we, we started touring, and next thing you know, it was five years later, and we were still on tour. You know, it just never ended. I mean, it was pretty exhausting by the time we decided we needed to take a little break. Yeah, and then Private Number comes out, which I remember the video had a number on there. Did, uh, you guys ever see anything out of that? I mean, because they, they actually, I never called that number, <laughs> but they actually said that sometimes you actually, guys, um, some guys would, some of you guys would be on that number sometimes, but there would be recorded messages. Uh, do you ever see anything out of that? Um, no, it actually, uh, we just had a lot of people calling it, but it ended up, uh, someone else ended up taking that number a little later, someone in Minnesota, and they were like complaining that all these people were calling that number. <laughs> I'm sure there's still people that call <laughs> that number today, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be funny if you called it and said, hey, I'm looking for the Jets. Yeah, you got video. the Jets on the line over there. Uh, then the last single from, from that album, You Got It All, goes to number three. Really, one of my favorite that you guys did was You Got It All. Not my favorite, but I, we'll get to that in a minute. I did not realize until I was doing the research of this, Rupert Holmes was the guy that wrote this song for his daughter. And you guys got it because his, I think his daughter passed away right. early. And it, But you guys got it. And, man, uh, another another top five hit for you. And, I mean, just right. really set you guys off then. You know, he was, you know, Rupert Holmes, you know, he wrote the Pina Colada song. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. Uh, he kind of knew our attorneys, uh, worked with him in New York, and so they were able to get that song from him. But you're right. I mean, it actually became our first number one. It was number one on the adult contemporary charts, uh, but number three on the pop charts in the Hot 100. Uh, yeah, great song. I mean, we still hear it today, here and there, and uh, oh yeah, it's a great song to have. And we always tell the story of my sister. She was 11 at the time when she recorded it, Elizabeth, and she had no idea what the song was talking about. Like she yeah. was still reading, you know, little book fiction, fiction books, and it was hard for her to get into the feeling of the song. And the producers, you know, David, he was getting frustrated, like, this girl, you know, she's still singing nursery rhymes. <laughs> How can we get her to sound like she's singing this song? Because she had a rich, deep voice, and that's for sure. So, you know, they said, do you have, like, a dog or a puppy? And she goes, yeah. And she goes, well, think of the puppy and sing to, the, to your puppy like you mean it. <laughs> and uh, that seemed to work because it, you know, it brought out all the emotion that, she, you know, they needed to make the song sound like it was legitimately... She was singing with some great emotion. Yeah, and, and, so we always—it's uh, always funny thinking about that. It's you know, I, I had heard that, but then I was like, you know, that kind of you know, I, I guess that is kind of hard for an eleven-year-old to know what that song actually means and get into the emotion of it. So uh, the producer did a great job getting out of one of the most beautiful voices <laughs> that I, I've heard. Your sister Elizabeth—that uh, she just yeah. had a beautiful voice. Uh, so you do Lower a Rick voice. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So you do a Christmas album. Then, then it's, it. Did you guys feel like there was a lot of pressure on you to to not just duplicate the success of the self-titled album, but to get even bigger? Was there a lot of pressure on you going into to the recording of Magic? Uh, yes, it seemed yes, it seemed that way. But our manager, like I said, he had worked with Stevie Wonder at Motown, so he knew what to, you know. He told us, okay, you know, your your sophomore album's got to be better than your freshman album, and you know, we knew that we'd had to really get even better songs than the first. So 
I don't know. It just seems like we uh, he did a good job of helping us uh, make sure that the second album was better than the first. Yeah, I think we went through like 300 songs. Wow. You know, honey, we to go through 300 songs? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a lot of songs there. Uh, but you lead off with uh, Cross My Broken Heart, which was a little crossover for you guys because it was on the soundtrack to Beverly Hills Cop 2. Uh, you, you guys did the video. Right. Your video, I can say this, you guys' videos were very entertaining. I mean, like, the You Got It All right. video was probably my favorite. But, <laughs> you know, your guy, the videos you guys did, and back when MTV actually played music videos, and I don't understand why MTV does, doesn't do that anymore, but that's another story. Uh, but... So you guys right. do that. That that has pretty good success there. Uh, you have two more things, or another single I do you. Then Rocket to You comes out. Now, how this this was the first single that came out that a male voice was on. How did that come about? I know there was something with the lyrics that uh, they made. They actually wanted you to sing it. Yeah, you know, um, you know. First of all, to just go back to the videos, you know, the Cross My Broken Heart video was the first video shot at Paisley Park, which is Prince's studio. Oh wow, I didn't and, know that. And uh, uh, he gave us a, a plaque saying, you know, congrats, you're the first rock video ever shot here in my studio. And we shot a lot of that album at Paisley Park uh, with uh, with um, Prince around. In fact, when I did a lot of my recordings, uh, like with Rocket and some of those songs. Actually, not Rocketeer, but on our third album, you know, Prince was always around in the studio, and he would walk in, and, uh, you know, it was pretty intimidating. That had to be pretty intimidating, as big as he was at that time, especially. <laughs> you know, but he was really supportive of our family. Uh, he would come out to see us perform when we were in L.A. or if he was in town. Uh, but getting back to the Rocketeer video, yeah, that was... Uh, you know, my brother Eugene, he was in the group and uh, to begin with, and he decided to, to go do a solo album and ended up becoming a duo with another person, becoming Boys Club. Yeah, Boys Club. How so you? Um, the next in line to, to do a song, they just figured, hey, you know, maybe Heinewood could do the vocals on this song. And Rocketeer was actually a song that was, uh, was a leftover song that we were hoping to get, but Earth, Wind, and Fire wanted to do it. Yep. So when we were going to do it, they were like, oh, never, never mind, uh, Earth and Fire, they, they want to do that song. And then a few months later, we heard that actually they dropped the song, they didn't want it, so we're like, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> Earth and Fire doesn't want to do it, then we'll do the song. And, uh, you know, it, you know they, it, it required a male vocal, and, uh, you know, I guess they, uh, they just figured, hey, you know, since uh, I have... A kind of a high voice out of all the boys, right? Like you know, kind of requires some falsetto and all this. So, you know, I didn't care to really do it. I mean, I enjoy just playing the bass in the background. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bass player. Um, but hey, it worked out, and it actually became our first Grammy-nominated song. So, uh, you know, I always tease my sister about that. You know, they had all the they sang all the songs and the hit songs are Elizabeth. But I, I, I'm, I, I sang the only song that was nominated for a Grammy. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they're like yeah. his best R&B yeah. performance by duo or group with vocals at the Grammys right. in 1989. Uh, yeah. Right. I think you did pretty good on that. I, uh, you know. So then... Yeah, it worked out, you know. <laughs> then my favorite Jet song of all time, uh, Make It Real. Uh, yeah, that was back in the day... When you're at a you're at a high school dance and, and make it real comes on that was the song uh, gets to number four on the U.S. Yeah. charts, uh, number one on the adult contemporary charts and man, 
Uh, but one thing I got to ask you, there was two different videos. What was the deal with having with the two different videos? Because there was one that looked like with Elizabeth in front of a blue screen, and then there was another one which I liked better that had all of you guys in it. What was the deal with the two videos? Yeah. What, what happened there was. Yeah. Go ahead, honey. Well, the song. It would have hit number one on the uh, the Billboard Hot 100, but um, stations in the South, especially like Miami and, and Florida, started playing it a little early before Rocketeer was even, like at, almost at the same time Rocketeer was, was released. Right. Like they heard the song and they're like, hey, we like this song too, so they started playing it. So it started catching fire, and if you know how the Billboard charts work, all the, all the stations have to kind of hit number one at the same time for it to to make an impact on the charts. So it kind of, you know, by the time we released it, half the nation or in the South had already started playing the song. Um, and for that matter, we, they needed a video right away. So that's why you saw the video of the blues crowd. Okay. kind of put together something really fast and quick. But it wasn't, it was the wrong timing. We were, they were trying to yeah. focus all the marketing and energy on Crockettew, but... You know, these overzealous program directors, you know, I don't blame them. Hey, they heard it like, hey, we love this song. Let's right. start playing this one before it was time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was the reason for that. Yeah, but now, was that? Was that and actually, the song, the song was recorded all over the nation. I mean, that's, we what ask get, that's, that's what I was getting ready to ask you. That's what I was getting ready to ask Was that recorded on and the was, road? Yeah, it was on the road. I remember, yep. It, it wasn't even... Uh, going to be on the album, you know, to begin with. It just kind of came in wow. last minute, and uh, we were like, you know, this has got to be on the album. So it was recorded in so many station, you know, recording studios as we were touring throughout the, the U.S., and then put back on the album really quick before it was released. Yeah. So you guys are pretty much, I mean, everybody knows who the Jets are. You guys are so popular. You you performed the Star Sangle Banner at, at the seventh game of the '87 World Ter Series, which was in Minneapolis. You played in Game Game right. Three of the '91 Stanley Cup Finals and the '88 Summer Olympics and the 2002 Winter Olympics. I mean, you guys are all over the place. But performing for Am I right when I heard this? You performed for the King of Tonga in 1991. Yeah, yeah 1989 actually. 89? And, and yes, it was one of the. 89, it was our biggest, uh, I think, achievement because, again, my parents were from there. And remember, Heine, it was just amazing. We were like the Beatles in, oh, in Tonga. I was going to say, that had to be great coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it was great. Uh, yeah, they even actually made a stamp. We have a stamp in Tonga. It's like a 41, 42-cent stamp uh, that has the group on, the picture of the, the band. Wow. Uh, kind of cool. Collector's item, I guess. Not you know, many people lucky, have stamps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I've got a few of them, but I'm like, I'm holding them because I realize that, you know, I don't know how how much they got still in Tonga, but uh, yeah, I would yeah, that was a great honor to be able to play for the king, yeah, and all the people for that matter. Yeah, and then after after that, uh, you you move on from MCA. What now? Not. Not the most. Could you feel a change in in the music industry after you left the MCA? Like a change in in what people were listening to then, or getting away from the pop and going more to, uh, I guess, to the to the rock and roll stuff then. Right. Yeah. What happened was basically, as you know, the whole industry changed from pop 
uh, to uh, more of a kind of a grunge. Grunge, yeah, grunge. And, uh, did a lot of things. In the '90s, it, it, everything changed. Yeah, there was a lot of changes going on, and, and a lot of people that brought us to MCA were no longer there, and so we kind of were were in a situation where we, either we we were having changes with our manager at the time. We fell out with him, and we decided to go on our own, and so there was just a lot of changes, but again, we were there, like Heidi was saying, we were in the industry kind of in there for a long time, and, and uh, it was kind of like, a t- it was everything was changing, but the, the whole scene was changing, right. right? we changed with the scene. Yeah, and then you put out some albums, then, you know, you kind of uh, don't put anything out for like eight years, I think there was a, a Greatest Hits album that came out, but... Let's talk about the 25th right. anniversary show. Now, I've watched a lot of that on YouTube, and, I mean, it's it, it kind of gives you goosebumps to watch, especially when you hear something like Make It Real or uh, You Got It All when, when you guys sang it. There's definite chem- chemistry still there with that band. Uh, you, got, you guys just sounded great at that 25th anniversary show, and that had to be a great accomplishment for you guys for 25 years in the business. Yeah, you know, it was, we like you said, we had all taken breaks and everyone had gotten married, perhaps kids and doing the mom and dad thing, but it was kind of, uh, you know, I think we, we decided, hey, why don't we try to get together and do something? And we were able to for our 25th anniversary and it was great to, to come back together as a family and, and do all those songs and, uh, you know, it was a fun experience and, and you know, it's always fun getting back together and playing. And the influences you guys have had on 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 music musicians. I mean, there was there was uh, Britney Spears put you got it all on one of her albums. Uh, Aaron Carter did Crush on right. his album. I mean, so there's still people out there. And I mean, when I when I told people I was, you know, I said you never guess who I'm going to interview. And I'm just, I said I think I said I got some members of the Jets, and I'm going to interview. And they were looking at me like, and mother, you know, there were people I grew up with. I was teenagers with. And they were like. You got to be kidding me! So I mean, yeah, there's people out there that still love the Jets, still, still uh, remember your music. Yeah. <laughs> so talk a little bit about what you're up to now. You, you know, we talked a little bit before the interview started about it. You got a residency in Vegas. Right. Yes, we actually, uh, you know, the brothers and I, Leroy, uh, Rudy, and I, we were able to, uh, you know, uh, we were thinking about, uh, you know, what can we do to kind of keep the music alive and. You know, we had done 80s shows here and there where they feature, you know, a whole bunch of bands together, you know, uh, Salt and Pepper or right. Vanilla Ice. And every group gets about 10 to 15 minutes. And, you know, we did that for a few years. And it, it's great, but then it gets kind of boring because it's all track shows, you know? Yeah. And we're all a bunch of musicians, and we kind of just want to play, you know, and not have to be prohibited to just 15 minutes. And uh, so when we... Uh, met up with our good friend David Sachs in, in Las Vegas who owned all the Sachs theaters and Sappho theaters where Britney Spears plays and Gwen Stefani and he had about three or four theaters and so we came up with the idea of hey you know what about having a kind of an 80s 90s show featuring the Jets you know hosting this show which we can do our music as well as maybe a few others that we worked with or toured with and uh, the idea is that you know we were able to make it happen and we were able to come get this residency at the V Theater at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas which started at December 17th and goes for a year so it's been three weeks and it's been great 
you know, I think we've met up with plenty of fans and, and people who have been wondering where the Jets have been, and, and, and it's just been fun. It's a really fast-paced show, so if you've been to our shows in the past, the show's pattern similar to that, just nonsense. Yeah, it's, it's like you're going back in time, and you're, yeah. you're actually seeing the Jets from, from back in the 80s. Well, that's, right? That would be pretty and cool. even yeah. brought back some of the old costumes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. So you know, I, I'm telling you, you know, some of that stuff. I've got a 15 year old daughter that uh, I have. Yeah. I have turned her on to some of you guys' music, like you know, the the Magic album and uh, the self titled album, and she she loves it. Now, some of that, those costumes now, she's looking at the cover. Some of those costumes may be coming back in style too, because everything comes back around. <laughs> so she was, yeah, she, she was yeah, eyeballing she was that, that too. Yeah, we actually went back and grabbed some of those old costumes and re-altered them. And, you know, my younger sister, uh, Vise, who's performing with us as well, and, you know, they just fitted them to that, you know, and refitted them, and also with us. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of our fans, our ages, bring their kids. And right. man, the kids are loving it just as much as them. So, you know, like you said, you know, teenagers... They're even dressing up oh. like the 80s. We, <laughs> we had some fans come in, they were dressed like... With the fluorescent colors, and right? The, you know, it was really cool to just see a lot of fans coming in, and they're dressed back when they used to be when they were kids. You know, and, and this is this is actually I was looking at it here. This is actually the 35th year uh, that since y'all been touring and, and together. So, uh, anything special that, that you guys might be doing for this uh, 35th year besides you know, the Las Vegas re- residency? I, <laughs> You know what? I'm, really? Is there anything? You know, I'm just excited for this opportunity. Yeah, this is our latest thing. Is just between the, the the residency and, and like I said, we're going to celebrate our 35th anniversary doing this, and hopefully, we can do stuff with everyone else. Yeah, I, I I definitely hope to see you guys get back together. Everybody get back together, do at least one concert together. Uh, that would be pretty awesome. I'd have to. I right. think I would. I'm in North Carolina. I think I would have. If it was in Vegas, I think I may have to make that trip out there to uh to see that uh but i'm not going to take yeah. up any more of your time you guys have been great thank you okay. so much again for doing this i know you guys got a busy schedule congratulations on 35 great. years and, and thank you for all the thank memories you. that you, you gave me uh all the great music and, and and take care of yourself and good luck on this vegas residency and whatever you guys decide to do this uh this 35th year Thank you so much. Thanks Take care. Thanks for me. All right. Guys, that is Heine and Rudy Wolfgrain from the Jets on, on the fly.